Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. A couple of weeks ago, um, while we were starting our our series on devotion, Lisa brought a great word on uh, being devoted to fellowship and to koinonia and to being the family of God together. Today, I want to pull our focus again to the devotion of the early church that we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You can jump there if you'd like. Uh, We want to have the devotion of those first Christians uh, because if we want to have the power and effectiveness that they did, uh, it would make sense that we adopt the same devotion and intimacy that they had. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, there's a succinct list that helps us to understand what particularly was the early church devoted to? Not, not just generally they had some results and we don't know what it was that was happening in that church, but they were devoted uh, to four things in particular. And I want us to take a look at that once again. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, they devoted, everybody say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling everything, uh, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. A few weeks ago, I preached about the devotion of the early church to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the apostles' teaching, which was simply Christ and him crucified, the centrality of Jesus' sacrifice for humanity and the invitation to respond to that mercy by God's grace through faith that was the, 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 the first of their devotions. Then Lisa, Lisa preached on the devotion to fellowship, that Greek word koinonia, what we would call doing life together, a culture of family wanting to be bonded together and not just have surface relationship, but to go deep. This morning, I want to draw our attention to, we're going to talk about breaking bread. And I came ready with a huge wand of Parisian-style baguette, as it was in the Bible. Now, the devotion of the early church to breaking bread is more than a devotion to food. So you can let out the ah, okay? It's not just they were devoted to eating, but in particular, the idea of them breaking bread is this devotion was a devotion to the Last Supper, the sacred meal, the Eucharist, or what we call communion. The early church discovered the presence and the power of the Lord that is available through breaking bread together. And so we want to take some time today to look at that. This practice of communion, breaking bread together, not not just communion with Jesus, but also communion with one another. The early church made this a matter of devotion. In our text, verse 46 tells us that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread 
seems like it was almost daily, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord was adding daily to their numbers, those who were being saved. So these, this devotion created a level of effectiveness in witness to a world that I'm sure even in that time would have been isolated into pockets of either just complete isolation or little circles of commonality around uh, particular points of interest. Our world is very fragmented in the same way. We found ways to avoid each other and connect somehow digitally, but those digital connections are very, very niche, very, very s small areas of focus. The Bible calls us into a broadness of community with one another in the breaking of bread. And so they practiced this devotion with glad and sincere hearts. It wasn't just putting on an act and it wasn't just going through emotion, but there was sincerity and gladness to it. There was fuel on it. I think sincerity and gladness is the fuel for devotion. That if it's just going through the motions, you'll run out of gas. But where there is sincerity and gladness, in other words, they enjoyed what they were doing. There, there was something that God was pouring his grace on. And we want God to pour that grace here. Amen? And so it says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. So again, there's this distinction between simply having a meal and breaking bread. It was more than just eating. They were commemorating the sacrifice of Jesus. As you read the Gospels, the four Gospels give us kind of four. It's, it's really one Gospel, four angles. But in, in each of these four accounts of the Gospel, we get this, this view of what happened on that last meal that Jesus had together with his disciples. We know that it was the time of the Passover. And so the disciples were expecting to celebrate Passover in its traditional way. God in his wisdom orchestrated timing and events to be so that the deliverance of the Jewish people through the Passover and the shedding of that pure male a uh, year-old unblemished lamb would occur thousands of years later on the same weekend when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would come and lay down his life for the sins of the world. No coincidence, the timing of the Lord. And so Jesus is with his disciples and he sends them to go and prepare an upper room where they can celebrate what they are assuming is going to be the cedar, is going to be the Passover meal together. And Jesus begins to move away from ceremony and from the rites as they knew them. And he began to speak in language that was fairly intriguing. The Bible says that he took the bread and he broke it. They watched as he broke the bread. And as he passed it around the table, he said to them, this bread is my body. Well, now we're not talking Passover anymore. We're, we're talking something new. This bread is my body, which is for you. Now, Jesus often taught his disciples using word pictures. And so they're listening to him, no doubt trying to grapple what this means. It certainly sounds deep. And it certainly, it certainly sounds 
peculiar upon first listening, this bread is my body broken for you. Not one of them was to take the entire loaf, but Jesus took the loaf and broke it and distributed it among them. He broke the bread. Luke chapter 22, verse 19 says, and he took the bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This loaf of bread is my body. Take it and eat it. We're to partake of this sacrifice and ingest it and then in so doing, metabolize that into ourselves. And in sharing of the loaf and breaking it amongst them, we become not only a part of him, but part of one another around this sacred meal. The early church was devoted to it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, 28 says, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered to it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we've moved from Passover to a new covenant in his blood. Jesus then begins to tell them, and I always find it the best to, to try to lean into the story and somehow put myself there, somehow just kind of squeeze in around the table. There's plenty of room, according to Leonardo da Vinci, because everybody sat on one side. So <laughs> he did a painting made for TV. I try to set myself in around that table, and Jesus now saying, this, this bread is my body broken for you. This blood is a new covenant in my blood. And then he says, one of you is going to betray me. Is this another one of his word pictures? What, what, what does this mean? And the Bible tells us that one by one, they went around the table and they began to ask him, is it me? Think of the humility of that. They, they sit and they hear Jesus saying, one of you is going to betray me. Could, could it be me? I hope it's not me. Lord, is it me? Peter, being Peter, says it's not me. I have a few guesses who it might be, but it's not me. All these guys might betray, but I wouldn't. I'll follow you right to the death. The disciples are so perplexed by it that they start nudging the teacher's pet. John, they say, John, could you ask him who he's talking about? Which one of us is going to betray him? Jesus is sitting there and John leans against him because they didn't sit at chairs, they're sitting on the floor. And he leans against him and he's like, Lord, who's going to betray you? And Jesus says, actually the one who dips into the cup with me right now. And he dips in and Judas dips in at that moment. 
Jesus looks at him and says, what you're going to do, go do quickly. The disciples are so perplexed by what's happening, they don't think Judas could be the traitor. I guess he was a good liar. I guess he was good at keeping up appearance. And the Bible says that when Judas took the bread after it had been dipped in the cup, Satan entered him. Always stands out to me that Judas had already worked out the arrangement to sell Jesus, to betray him. And that wasn't satanic yet. That was just low human behavior. Satan entered him once he took the communion and kept up the ruse, walked his way. The disciples are perplexed. And it's that perplexed feeling of examination that the Bible actually calls us into. The devotion of the early church was to this meal. And the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as he talks about communion. Let's look at verse 28. It says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord. Highlight that. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, a euphemism for premature death. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. The early church was devoted to this. Devoted to breaking bread and self-examination. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We need to discern the body of Christ and examine ourselves in relationship to it in two, two ways. First of all, we need to examine ourselves in relationship to the body of Christ Meaning, literally, his physical body offered in sacrifice for us. We need to examine ourselves as those disciples did. Secondly, we need to examine ourselves and examine ourselves in relationship to the body of Christ as what later the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as the family of God. We need to discern the body of Christ on those two levels. Let's look at the first level. Discerning the sacrifice of Jesus through his literal body. Examining ourselves like those first disciples did. As when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And they said, Lord, is it me? Could it be me? As we come to the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus this morning, we would do well to set presumption aside, spiritual pride aside, and assume the childlikeness and humility of the disciples that when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't just announce, other than Peter, 
They said, Lord, is it me? We, we need to set aside the presumption and spiritual pride that sometimes derails sincerity. Is it me? Am I one who would walk out of here and not take this meal seriously? Is that me? Is it possibly true of me? That I might just come to this table as though it were a tradition, not really think about what it cost, not really think about the, the brokenness, the literal beating, the literal scourging, suffering, abuse that Jesus took, not because of anything he did, but because of the sins I've committed. Could I be one that would take that lightly and just go on with my day without actually thinking of what responsibility comes on the other side of receiving such mercy? Is it me? Could I be one that would just look at it and go, well, you know what? He paid for all the sins of the world, so there's some things I'm pretty much committed to continuing to do, but praise God for grace. <laughs> would, I, would I do that? Would I come to such deep sacrifice flippantly? Is it me? Think of Judas actually participating in communion, fooling himself that he was a participant when the plans that he had set in his heart of disobedience severed him from the communion that he was participating in. So self-examination as a devotion, if we do it right, if we do it properly, it's very, it's very, very not 2024 North America, I can tell you that. It's, it's very not broad stroke North American church theology. But if we want the intimacy and the effectiveness of the early church, might we pull close to ourselves the examination that is not presumptuous, but the examination that says, Lord, if there's any sinful way in me, search me. And if there's anything in me where I am fooling myself when it comes to obedience, search me. Examine yourself. There's another level of examining ourselves as it pertains to this physical body because the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we're healed. This is healing bread. Somehow, there's varied traditions and varied theologies around what happens in the moment of prayer as we come. It, it, it's bread and juice, yes. But as we pray and ask for the Lord to search us and as we take time at the table, God somehow saturates this loaf that we could anticipate healing through partaking. So I examine myself 
And then I also reflect and say, the beating and the wounds that you took are for my healing. That if I'm here today struggling in illness and sickness, I'm not proposing to you a magic formula. I'm not proposing to you, you have to really do it exactly right. I'm saying the invitation at this table is that this is a healing meal. And if we will discern, it could become a point of contact for our faith to say, Lord, by your stripes, by the wounds on your back, I confess I'm healed. It's not separate from me, but I partake of it. I'm ingesting your healing that you paid for. The Bible makes it clear that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so the cup is for the forgiveness of our sin, but his broken body is offered for the healing of our sickness. His body was broken for the healing of our diseases. And so we would do well to take time. The early church daily met in temple courts. Daily broke bread, came to this constant place of examination, contrition, that no doubt lends itself then to gratitude. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for breaking the bread of your body, spilling the wine of your blood, so that I could be cleansed and forgiven, healed, and in right relationship with you. Now let's look at the next part. Discerning the body of Christ as the family of God. The body of Christ is not just Jesus' physical body that he walked in while on earth and that is resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father. But Scripture tells us that when we are saved, when we are born again, when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, when we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, we're saved. When we're saved, we are connected to other believers in a supernatural way. Now, we're all sitting here in this room. There's a physical address with a postal code. There's literal brown chairs we're sitting on. But there's a supernatural element to what is happening in this room right now. This, in this room right here, is the body of Christ. And so when Paul says we need to examine and discern the body of Christ, it's twofold. It's his literal sacrifice, searching and examining ourselves, celebrating the healing that is available, and then also right connection with one another. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me unpack this just with the reading of this text from verse 12 to 27. It says, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are presentable are treated with special modesty. Unpresentable are treated with special modesty. And while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now that's a lengthy reading that in some ways seems redundant. Whenever it seems redundant, understand it's not. It's trying to drive a point home that is going to get missed if we don't sit with it. And the point that's getting driven home over and over in this text is you cannot overvalue someone else and undervalue yourself and function well as a body. You cannot look at someone else's gift and say, oh, I'm not a hand, so I don't count. Not true. You can't overvalue, overestimate where other people serve and say, well, they're really important and I'm not. Paul goes out of his way like driving a nail and he hits it again and again and again to say, you are the body of Christ. It's not a uni, uh, you know, a uniform, one gift, one, uh, one item, one member, but all the members together make the body. And so if we're going to discern the body of Christ together, it's going to be, hear me, relational and conversational. When we break bread together, we are mindful of the need to examine ourselves. We're mindful of the invitation for healing. And we're mindful of the body of Christ as his family. And so this morning, we're going to take some time relationally around the table. First of all, I need to just say that if you are here and you, you're not living in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, you could change that right here through a prayer of faith, by simply just acknowledging your need for Jesus to save you, cleanse you, forgive you, and start your life over again, to be born again through walking with him. And if you're here today and that needs to happen, don't let this moment pass you by. Literally, it's confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you can be saved. You could be a part of the family of God T minus one second, like right now, through obedience in faith. And so before we do anything else, I just want to make sure that who's in the room 
is participating the way that we need to, which is first and foremost, that we belong to him. And so if you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what, I need, I need to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And before we do anything else, I want to get that straight. Then this is the time. This is the family of God. No one thinks you're weird. Everybody's done the same thing for the most part. And if you need to get right with Jesus before we do anything else, if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand so that we can acknowledge that. If you need to get your life right with the Lord Jesus. Yeah, there's one hand at the back. Yeah, right here. Amazing. Yes, right here. Anyone else? Yeah, right there, buddy. Four. Anyone else? Four people. Five. Just to come into the right relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I saw you, bud. Five people together in this place this morning. So that's the Spirit of God working in your heart. I want everyone just to close your eyes just for a moment. Those of you that just raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer with me. And for those of you that have prayed this prayer before, would you join with us so that we can pray together? Would you, would you pray after me? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth to take on my sin, my separation from God, to pay for my forgiveness. Today, I confess Jesus Christ is Lord. I confess God raised him from the dead. I confess I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, to cleanse me, forgive me, Wash me clean. Make me brand new. And by faith, I declare, I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, you're part of the family of God you to join with us. If you're a part of the family of God, you love Jesus, you're part of this church, we're going to stretch ourselves a bit today. What do I mean? I mean, we're going to break bread together. And this need is universal. Can I just say something? Introverts and extroverts are terms that we came up with. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not. It's not helpful if we use that label as an excuse to set ourselves aside from what Scripture calls us into. Even in 2024. So, what am I saying? I'm saying, th think of it this way. If you were on a plane that was going down, I'm just starting the deep end. If you're in a if you're on a plane that's going down and there's a parachute for everyone and, and rescue is guaranteed by jumping on the, getting, getting on a parachute. What do you do if you're afraid of heights? 
You do what the other guys do and you put on the parachute. You take the leap because it's what you do. Whether your fear of heights would normally say, this isn't for recreation, this isn't what I normally do. But in this instance, this is the leap I'm going to take. Are you hearing me? We're going to stretch ourselves a bit this morning. So the, the reason for that is because there's healing in this meal. And so I'm going to ask the pastors that I've already asked to help if you would go to your stations. We have six sections in this sanctuary. And so Pastor Kathy's going to be here for this section to the front where it splits. That's going to be Pastor Levi for that section at the back. Pastor Lisa in the center section of the middle. I'll be here in the front section of the middle. Pastor Paul to my right, your left for this front section. And Pastor AJ for that back section. A little bit of instruction is I'm going to ask you to access by going out to your right and then go back in a circle. Don't go back the way you came, but just kind of walk around so that we can do this as efficiently as possible. Trust me, I've wrangled with the logistics of this all week. I think we've got a plan. What we're going to do is we're each going to get a piece of this bread each table broken for you and what we're first going to do is we're going to examine ourselves we're going to, we're going to examine ourselves and ask the Lord to search us like the disciples did Lord is there anything in me that's not taking this as seriously as I should am I deceived in any area would you show me is there sin in me that I'm tolerating that you're not would you help me? We can do that, right? We're going to do that first. Then what we're going to do is we're going to break bread together as the body of Christ. Husbands and wives, fathers and mothers and their kids, brothers and sisters, friends. And here's the real stretchy part. I want you to, after you've done that, find someone you've never met before at this church. And I want you to break bread with them. Why? Because we don't know one another just after natural relation. We know one another after the Spirit. And we're going to build relationship around, hey, what's your name? Curtis. Hey, Curtis, aren't you the youth pastor? Anyways, I'll say, Curtis, nice to meet you. My name's Matt. I'm glad we're in the family of God together break bread together. We'll, we'll break bread. And then you're going to get back to your seats really fast and we'll finish up with the juice. Okay? Okay? Okay. Everyone stand on your feet. Let's try to do this as orderly and as efficiently as possible. Can we just prepare our hearts? And remember you're going to exit your road to the right and then back around to the other end of the road. Father, we pray right now that you would help us as we come to your table. Do what only you can. Make your word come alive to us. And Lord, in this church today, Lord, would you establish the fear of the Lord, the awareness, Lord, of your sacrifice for us. Help us to discern your body in two ways. Help us to discern your sacrifice for us. Purge us and cleanse us of sin. Help us, Lord, to 
come under the lens of your spirit to examine ourselves. And then, Lord, would you help us to discern the body of your people that are around us and the privilege we have of journeying together as a spiritual family. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device. 